Hello folks. This week we talk about what Heidegger has to say about science. This is a useful topic to conclude with because the theme of science straddles both the earlier and later Heidegger. In Being in Time, Heidegger speaks about the nature of sciences, what he famously calls uh, regional ontology, which I will go on to explain. In his later work, Heidegger, in such essays as The Age of the World Picture and Modern Science, Metaphysics and Mathematics, Heidegger speaks about how, in contrast to the common view that technology and industry are applications of technology, he rather argues that science is inherently technological. In this lecture, then, I will explain this proposition, and I'll explain what Heidegger means by regional ontology, and what he has to say about the technological determination of reality, which science unleashes. In his lectures, what is called thinking, Heidegger puts forward what he deems himself to be a shocking and scandalous thought, and that is, he says, and I quote, science does not think. And it is rather shocking, Why on earth would scientists not be able to think? Well, let's see what he means. Part 1. Science and being in time. If we think of what science is in an average everyday sense, we tend to grasp science as a tool, something we use to find out what the truth is. That's very broadly conceived. Science generally answers such questions like what is the nature of gravity, what temperature does water boil at, or how far from the Earth is the Moon, or how many elements are currently on the periodic table of elements. As a bonus, when science uses its methods to find out information about these questions, it has technical, medical, and industrial application, which are instrumentally valuable to us. Also, science is one of the things that develops which has to do with the establishment of facts. This is what separates the activities and practice of science from, say, religion or even ethics. We see this distinction most forcefully in the naturalistic fallacy, where we say that what ought to be the case cannot be derived from what is the case. Ethics are the domain of philosophy or religion. Science is the domain of what is true and empirically verifiable. Indeed, this form of reasoning is why Karl Popper developed his principle of falsifiability. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, for Popper, propositions of value, propositions pertaining to metaphysics and religion, are what he called non-falsifiable. This is what makes science what it is, as a scientific theory can be falsified, whereas, say, the proposition of a religion cannot. That is, the propositions of religion are not falsifiable because they admit of no facts. But how tenable is this opposition between fact and value, knowledge and interpretation, nature and nurture, theory and practice, and all the other guises this problem manifests itself to us? Heidegger challenges these oppositions. Facts are not theory-neutral, but are rather theory-laden. This means they are dependent on sets of theoretical assumptions about how the world is. For example, when physicists accepts that matter exists, biologists accepts that organic life exists, and the chemist accepts that elements and compounds exist. This is very necessary to the practice of their respective sciences. If they did question the existence of their object of studies, they would be in a rather absurd position. Put more succinctly, 
theory gives us sets of facts about how the world is, which is subsequently verified through experimentation and observation. But to say that a fact is theory-dependent gives us a bit of a circular argument, where the theory hypothesizes sets of facts about the world, which we can confirm or deny through experimentation and observation, which in turn proves the validity of the theory. The way Heidegger tackles this problem is interesting. In some way, he thinks that we are asking the wrong questions. Our approach to science should not be about the reality of the external world, which has been the whole purpose of modern science and modern philosophy since Descartes. In some sense, Heidegger does not care about the opposition of theory and facts or things like realism and anti-realism or the existence or non-existence of the external world. Instead, we should rather look at to science to understand how science proceeds in practice. To understand science, we need to look at what scientists do. In being time, there are two moments which are relevant to this for Heidegger. Firstly, there is Heidegger's claim that the correlation and correspondence theories of truth are founded on deeper understanding of truth as unconcealment. Secondly, there is secondly, there is Heidegger's discourse on ready to hand and present to hand. Both of these points, truth as unconcealment and tool being, are important for figuring out what Heidegger is trying to get to when he describes the functioning of science. We tend to think of science as a tool for establishing facts about the world. And for Heidegger, our modern, everyday understanding of science makes us think that science studies the material structure of particular objects. And these objects are, in Heidegger's terminology, present to hand. If you think of a science experiment like, say, using a Bunsen burner to test for conduction and convection, the objects of study are not in the world. They are abstracted from the world and thought of in isolation. The trouble with this, though, is, as Heidegger maintained in Being in Time, that our fundamental relationship with the world is ready to hand, not present to hand. We don't experience the immediate world as present to hand objects in and of themselves. Rather, we experience the immediate world as, Heidegger puts it this way, projective. The things of the world are connected in a relational way. And this very context makes possible any form of intelligibility in the first place. And the world is ready to hand. The world exists as various possible affordances. This chair, that table, that sink, this door, all of which the world becomes revealed as sets of possibilities. We do not really experience the world in material terms. This is not to say these phenomena do not exist. They're just not apparent to us. So when we go about our business in the world, we don't really see how it is constituted out of atoms and quarks and strings and the like. So the point is, we have come to take science to describe how things truly are. But for Heidegger, it is only a way of approaching and interpreting how the world is. The world of ready-to-hand illuminates how place and context are indispensable for understanding Dasein or 
the human being's essential relatedness to the world. The key point is that this world is the context of intelligibility for any of our concepts. So if we think of science as a tool for establishing the world as it is, then we are following an instrumental view of the world. But prior to any instrumental thought, that is relating to the world only in an instrumental way, does not make sense without a context of world. I can't use this spade without the context of soil to be tilled. Or I can't use this cup without a table on which to place it upon in order to drink my tea. Similarly, a biologist will need to use a microscope as a tool to observe cellular phenomenon. So, that biologist then might have to use an experiment to establish the facts about whatever cellular process they are attending to. But to do any of that, I have, they have, that biologist would have to have a sense of how the world is arranged in a context of involvement or a being in the world, which implies there-ness, here-ness, up, down, left and right, dimensionality, as well as a temporal horizon of before and after, or earlier than and later than. Science, for Heidegger, does not seem to appreciate this notion of the world, even if it is drawn from it. The world is not an object shorn of its context. Part 2. Regional Ontologies In Being in Time, Heidegger indicates to us how truth of the world or the truth of any claim at all for that matter to be intelligible is made explicit through everyday purposive activity. The correspondence theory of truth or the idea of truth as correlation are instrumentally valuable but do not get to the reality of how things are. Instead, they show how science contributes to understanding ourselves constituted by subject-object relations. Here we get a sense that there is a subject who is a neutral and dispassionate arbiter adjudicating how the external objective world really is. Where a subject represents an object one cannot make sense of that notion without it already being derived from our ongoing and everyday practical engagement with our surroundings. And this is a bit of a dilemma for how we understand science. Science does not understand itself as of this world, which is why Heidegger thinks that science does not think. If you think about it, science is one of our best practices for telling us how things are we maintain. But to do this, science must be sure of the broader context of involvement of everyday life. Indeed, this abstraction from the world is necessary to science working at all. Scientific claims are supposed to be neutral and dispassionate above our everyday prejudices and biases. But for Heidegger, scientific claims remain dependent on the activities and practices which they are abstracted from. What does this mean, though, for scientific activities? Where Heidegger shifted or turned towards different modes of philosophical expression in his post-being-in-time work towards understanding the history of being or even the history of the forgetting of being, 
science does contribute to that discussion. It contributes to this forgetting of the question of being. Science, as I mentioned at the outset, is for Heidegger a type of technological thinking, and it is not at all as neutral and as disinterested as it might appear. Now, let's be clear, Heidegger is not saying don't do science or don't be a scientist. He is only asking what our embrace of science in the world implies for our self-understanding of ourselves as humans. And Heidegger, well, he thinks that science has induced a massive transformation of our self-conception of ourselves as human beings. Rather than beings in the world, Heidegger thinks that science is geared towards domination, machination and the manipulation or ordering of things. Understood as such, science for Heidegger gives us the paradigmatic manifestation of the modern age, a world picture in which the world is pictured in a particular way. By world picture, Heidegger means the view of ourselves as representing beings, as the beings who picture the world as out there for us to understand through our subjective judgment of external objects. Heidegger is here talking about how the modern period has transformed what we are as humans. Science and technology has given us a world picture, a worldview, where we predominantly comprehend ourselves as beings who can represent the world. And what is more, we only view the world insofar as it is instrumentally valuable to us. In Heidegger's own words, and here I quote him, the fact that whatever is comes into being in and through representedness transform the age in which this occurs into a new age in contrast with the preceding one. The expression world picture of the modern age and modern world picture both mean the same thing and both assume something that never could have been before, namely a medieval and an ancient world picture. Hence science as well as technological innovation and development have led us to believe that the world is noble in an epistemological sense. Genuine knowledge occurs once we think of the world as a type of object. All we need to do is engage in quantitative and calculative practices where we count a set of facts about the world. We have an illusion of cumulative knowledge as if knowledge were a bank or, in Heidegger's terms, a standing reserve, something from which we can dispense and withdraw things and when we need it. But why does science think in this way? Heidegger as an answer, and we must understand it if we are to understand science in an existential sense. In the introduction to Being in Time, Heidegger specifically examines the disjunct between philosophy and science. The reason this disjunct has happened is not for the reason you might suspect. If you are thinking that philosophy is non-empirical and science is, and that hence philosophy cannot count as a science, then that is not what Heidegger is worried about. Rather, his concern is that science has a tendency towards ethical, spiritual and cultural fragmentation. Science does not tend to bind, and the reason for this is very specific. Science pursues different domains of research. Every science has its own objects of concern. This is really just another way of saying that science is preoccupied with certain things. There's nothing profound about that claim. After all, there are 
If we restrict ourselves to the classic branches of science, different types of scientists, such as chemists, physicists, and biologists. If we extend beyond the classical branches of science, we find agronomists, astrobiologists, earth scientists, paleontologists, epidemiologists, microbiologists, and so on. All of those different fields of research have their own parameters, they have their own internal logic, and they have their own criteria of internal consistency. Experimental methods, measurement techniques, and clarificatory processes. Thus, science is the activity of doing all those things. But, and this is Heidegger's point, science as an activity could be said to be characterized by fragmentation rather than unification. For biology, there are further subdivisions, for example, of this field into, say, microbiology or astrobiology. The thing is, irrespective of how these research programs research their objects, they must think and work with a fundamental presupposition. That presupposition is that the objects they study must exist. Imagine it, a physicist who was trying to observe something that does not exist would be a very impoverished physicist. So, one could say existence is already baked into the activity of science. While this might not be an important insight for working scientists, they tend to just assume their objects of study exist and get on with it, there are philosophical consequences which are worth thinking about. That science takes for granted its object of study means that there is something dogmatic at the core of science. Again, this does not mean science cannot contribute to a sceptical disposition or undermine unreasonable pieties and shibboleths. It only means that science, to exist, must unreflectively take for granted the question of existence. For Heidegger, a central factor in the regional understanding of a domain of scientific inquiry is a commitment to internal consistency and coherency. This view considers things to be lawfully repetitive, which is to say there is a preordained expectations continue to show themselves in the same way in all instances and would continue to do so over time and space. Here, when Dasein investigates specific domains of inquiry, it becomes committed to sustaining the lawful invariance of whatever regional ontology is to hand. Lawfulness is another way of talking about entities which behave as we expect. The trouble emerges when we find anomalous phenomena which in Juice a crisis in how we do science. So, for example, Newton's theory of light was replaced by the wave theory of Jung and Fresnay, or how fossil remains revise our theory of the origin of the species. In the Age of the World picture, Heidegger claims that, and I quote him here, every science is, as research grounded upon the projection of a circumscribed object sphere. The first thing we should note is Heidegger here refers to every science, implying there was more than one. Usually, when we talk about science in an everyday sense, we just say science, as in science does this and science does that. Science tells us to eat less eggs. Science tells us to go for a run. Science tells us to eat more eggs and so on. Oftentimes, we speak of science as if it were a homogenous phenomenon. For example, science tells us that pandemic vaccines will be good for our immune system or Two degrees of warming will trigger climate domino effects. Now, I am not disputing any of these propositions in themselves, one way or the other. 
I am more interested in showing how we habitually conceive the authority of science. We conceive it as a form of idle chatter, so to speak. While I would imagine scientists would argue for the common activities relevant to all scientific practice, and by this I'm thinking of things like common scientific activities and practices like observing, measuring, predicting, making, testing hypotheses, recoding and communicating findings, peer review, evaluation, and so on. Heidegger suggests, though, there remains something very local or regional about the way science goes about its business. This leads us to the second thing we ought to note about Heidegger's claims about science, and that is science is founded upon the projection of a circumscribed object sphere. The word circumscribed here should alert us to Heidegger's intention. Different sciences are bounded. The question is, what are these disciplines bounded to? Well, they're bounded to their object of research. The point is that scientific experimentation must operate within certain parameters. Any scientific hypothesis necessarily presupposes an object of study as well as a region of observation and investigation. A chemist will, at least quite often, restrict their analysis to the properties of matter at an atomic and molecular level. Likewise, a biologist will restrict the subject of their study to the structure and composition of organic life. Certainly this picture can get complicated, say if we were studying biochemistry or quantum chemistry, but the point remains, whatever set of facts the biochemist studies is in some way preconceived and advanced. And in addition, the existence of the object of study is assumed in advanced, albeit in an unquestioned way. Heidegger thinks of scientific activities then as what he calls regional ontologies. Roughly, science cuts up bits of reality as opposed to studying reality itself. That is ontology. Heidegger's broader point is that research activities, such as we find in the natural sciences view, are pictured the world as objects, are stronger scientific activities that objectify the world. We should be clear, it is not as if Heidegger thinks that the objective scientific world picture is not instrumentally valuable. It is. Sciences are no doubt good at getting things done. We only need think of recent vaccination drives during the 1920 pandemic. The ways technology improves our lives or any other biomedical progress to understand this rather basic point. The point for Heidegger, though, is that the scientific worldview in itself is quite limited and limiting since its reason to be is the study of sets of facts about particular regions of the world. Scientists' objects of concern are naturally limited to their region of study. If a scientist has a hypothesis, which in turn leads to the gathering of evidence, followed by experimentation to prove the hypothesis, type of thinking these activities determine remain limited to the boundaries of their projected field of inquiry. Only philosophy, really, Heidegger thinks, can transcend these regional differences. The thing is, though, when certain scientists proceed with science in the ontic level, that is in the domain of things, then when an innovation or a new theory comes about or a new method of observation they're not inclined to be early adopters because they treat their objects of study as 
ontically fixed. New methods or new findings can bring about a crisis in a regional ontology. And the scientist, or the group of scientists, witness their regional ontology come into question. But when that happens, they are no longer doing science according to Heidegger. They are confronting the existential limitations about the nature of their discipline and are as such doing philosophy rather than science. Why? Well, because the nature of their objects of research is in question. And once they are in question, the scientist must turn to the philosopher who can discern the questions of existence and non-existence. Part 3. Science is a human activity. Heidegger thus pursues an existential concept of science. Sciences are human activities like any other, and they require practices, activities, power relations, as much as any other discipline. Now, a scientist will certainly say science has the best tools to undermine pseudo-knowledge, bias, opinion, the anecdotal. But I think Heidegger would counter only within the confines of very particular domains of inquiry. But that is not really his primary concern. For Heidegger, scientific investigation and research to be meaningful, it must be historical. Science is subject to historical development, and an existential concept of science emphasizes science as developmental and concerned with possibilities, as opposed to the representational, where science is a discourse on the aggregation and diminution of a litany of facts. The former existential way of conceiving of science sees science as something people do, and is always directed ahead towards exploring both the possible and the implausible. If so, then science too proceeds with a little bit of the dark. Science requires leaps of faith, scepticism, healthy disregard for dogma. These last points are a consequence of scientific activity. But of course this might not always be the case, and there are certain situations where science itself can obscure that. For Heidegger, science as an investigation into the material constitution of the ontic domain needs to be mindful of the limitations of its domain of inquiry. Remember, a limit is a phenomenological term, and Heidegger is here recalling Husserl's idea of the horizon. The horizon is that which has a blurry boundary, indicating that which is both inside and outside the domain. If scientists do not remain mindful of the limitations of their domain, then they run the risk of becoming overly fixated with regard their object of study. Furthermore, they see their own object of study as equivalent to the world entire. When this happens, scientists can potentially strive to ignore questions of fundamentals, to develop in greater clarity, depth and precision a specific domain of entities or things. If left to run its course, scientists become motivated to undertake ontic inquiry to replicate their ability to attend to entities without questioning how these entities are. In one sense, this ontic inquiry is good scientific practice, setting the parameters of what can and cannot be observed, accounting for the replicability of experimentation and so on. However, when crises emerged, Heidegger was concerned that scientists, rather than thinking of entities as open, scientific practices sometimes can, not always, close off the possibility of generating new knowledge as well as entertaining the significance of that knowledge. This is distinctly not a critique of science for Heidegger. It is, however, a critique of certain 
propensities perhaps within scientific practice which do not understand the truest vocation of science which is to make explicit the fate of entities for this reason science needs philosophy to discern truth as unconcealment or unhiddenness for Heidegger science is really good at self-evaluation error for example is amendable through further inquiry what science does less well is surmounting its addiction to correctness rather than truth is unconcealment by this Heidegger means allowing entities to show themselves in themselves in contrast scientific praxis has a propensity to decontextualize things science has a dual role then on the one hand it must decontextualize neutralize and objectify things to establish genuine knowledge on the other hand objects thought of in this way are not considered through the everyday practical cern but acquire a delocalized neutrality science then informs a new way of interpreting objects which consequently informs how we understand ourselves science works best when it is projective this means science concerns itself through available possibilities for truth or falsity when science remains in hoc to a regional ontology it remains fixated on correctness but when scientific practice is understood in an existential sense then we can see that its essential nature requires self-conceiving of itself in openness to entities where things are understood in terms of possibilities scientific research can only proceed with prior grasp of the domain of inquiry as well as existential and historical possibilities some might be understandably concerned about heidegger's position on the historicality of science so if the meaning of science is historically variable then we will not be able to attain invariable knowledge which is what science should be about right or in more relativist terms even we might end up in a position where truths and facts are subject to the whims of historical positioning this is not heidegger's aim though reality or being does not really change while perhaps the ways we interpret it do the practice of science itself discloses just this if science is committed to understanding different domains of inquiry or different regional ontologies then it follows that as a practice scientific inquiry cannot but treat reality in terms of various ontic domains furthermore scientific activity is not teleological it is not all going in the one direction where things progressively improve for heidegger all science really is is no more no less than the practices and activities of scientists the practice of taking ontic domains of investigation as present to hand reinforces the emergence of objectivity which can subsequently dissipate when new findings discoveries or conceptual innovations are generated if this historical determination of science was not the case then science would not be able to proceed there can be no historical definition of science if there were then well there would be no development of science science and modern science especially is something that came into being historically certainly for heidegger scientific practices demand sets of commitments and practices about how we can gain get knowledge from the world 
But the meaning of science is not invariant and unchanging. It can't be, because science is the activity of doing, not the reanimation of timeless principles. Science is not about the status or existence and non-existence of external reality. Science is in the business of the production of reality itself. The danger for science is that it remains a form of technological thinking. Heidegger thinks that what science does then is project the regional ontology as if it were the whole of nature or reality itself. What Heidegger is worried about here is that science proceeds with a fundamental misunderstanding of reality. In his essay, Modern Science, Metaphysics and Mathematics, Heidegger says that modern science is distinguished by its mathematical projection. By this he means less numerical proficiency or counting and th- or practices like that, and more how science congeals into calculative and technological thinking. Modern science, as a, and a quote here, Heidegger, a mathematical project is the anticipation of the essence of things, of bodies, thus the basic blueprint of the structure of everything and its relation to everything is sketched in advance. Similarly, Heidegger says, and I quote, bodies have no concealed qualities, powers or capacities. Natural bodies are only what they show themselves as within this projected realm. Things now show themselves only in the relations of places and time points and in the measures of mass and working forces. In short, what modern science has done, and in the essay Modern Science, Metaphysics and Mathematics, Heidegger claims that since Newton and Galileo, science conceives all of nature as indistinguishable mathematical points. All places, spaces, all movement, all times are fundamentally uniform and homogeneous. Therefore, science for Heidegger holds some nihilistic consequences, as to engage in science as a form of mathematical thinking implies a form of labeling, where we can only discern things in terms of pre-established grids rather than understanding things in their fundamental openness and appropriateness of their natures to how the world is. In the distinct sense that Heidegger understands the mathematical, then modern science projects a gridded view of nature where one mathematical point is no different to another. By way of conclusion then, Heidegger thinks that science has lost its ability to discern the truth, at least truth beyond the regions of specific inquiry. In the domains of regional ontologies, science does just fine. But when it needs to understand the limits of these domains, their inherent fallibility, their exposure to innovation and new developments, how they commit to questions of meaning and significance as inherent in the production of science, then science does less well, according to Heidegger. Science, though, is inherently committed to efficient causality. In other words, instrumentalism. And science and scientists project this mathematical and instrumental view onto nature. This way of thinking means that nature is only intelligible as understood mathematically. But as we have seen, Heidegger is keen to show that there is no real prior nature of maths. Any mathematical projection on nature is derived from how things are disclosed in the world of ready-to-hand. Heidegger, as is his wont, prefers the Aristotelian view of nature, which sees nature as filled with purposes, drives, activities and directions. Teleological causality for Heidegger has the added benefit of allowing us to think of nature in terms of 
activities of entities in themselves rather than purely determined for human ends. And hence the potential nihilism of science as a technological form of thinking. Since nature becomes utterly subordinate to human ends rather than to how things exist in the world themselves. The next step to thinking of the world as they are to be extracted from and used up is a short step in Heidegger's eyes. But, and this is a big but, science is not necessarily condemned to technological destruction. Science, when it is philosophical, can think beyond the confines of its own domain of inquiry. This is why Heidegger says, and I quote him here, and this quote is from the Age of the uh, World picture. The greatness and superiority of natural science during the 16th and 17th century rests in the fact that all the scientists were philosophers. Science, when it is at its best, is not just the aggregation of facts, but facts in light of the fundamentals of our existence. There's probably no better place to finish these lectures on Heidegger than with a romantic view of science and scientific discovery. 